to be with you all today. I uh, told my sister-in-law on the way here that that pulpit's going to make me look awful small. <laughs> so, so I hope you can all see me out there. <clears throat> the pulpit in my church is about this wide uh, because that's about all the wider I am. So <laughs> I always feel, feel badly for the uh, sound guys too. They, they have a hard time getting this headset on my small neck without messing the entire thing up. So, uh, but it's good to be with you all. Just thrilled for the opportunity to preach this morning. I don't take it lightly, uh, especially since, well, for, for two reasons, especially this time. First of all, because you're only having one service. You know, before I've, I've preached afternoon services before, and so your pastor or Pastor Joe also got the opportunity to preach. But today, I'm it. So uh, I appreciate that. I also appreciate it because somebody asked me, not that long ago, if I thought I would be asked to preach, and I said, well, frankly, they don't need me. You all have a wealth of good Bible preachers here. You don't need guest speakers. You know, and I don't know if you realize just how rare that is uh, to have that, um, but I have just as good a time sitting out in the pew listening as I do. Well, that's not entirely true. I, I love preaching apart from everything else, but... But I, I enjoy coming here and hearing Pastor Joe and hearing uh, Pastor Hovey and, and Brother Aaron. Uh, it, it just astounds me how much God has blessed this church with good Bible teachers. And so don't take that for granted. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to say, just because I have the opportunity to say it, is would you just remind yourselves to be patient with your pastor and your elders? This year, nobody prepared the pastor or the elders for this past year. Guarantee you there were no seminary classes or conferences on how to deal with this sort of thing. And to be frank, you just can't keep everybody happy. If you thought it was difficult to keep everybody happy before, it is impossible now. And folks, uh, up in Michigan, things are a little bit different, uh, but... Uh, Every church that I know up there, every single one of them is different in the way they are handling it, in the policies that they have in place, frankly, because their people are different, and their people react differently, and their, their pastors have to be sensitive to that. So just be patient uh, with your pastor and with your elders during this time, because it's just, there's no winning right now. There's no keeping everybody happy. My church back home, 60% of the people are out sick with COVID right now. So, uh, thank God that's not the way it is here. Uh, so, it's, it's a big deal. And there's really nothing a pastor can do about it, but just hope and pray. And so, be praying for your pastor and for your elders that they would have wisdom. Because, you know, it doesn't really matter what you do. Somebody's going to take objection to it. And, uh, and it's a tough time to be a pastor. Not complaining. Not complaining at all. It's kind of an also a fantastic time to be a pastor. Um, but it also is difficult in that before, all you had to worry about was the music or how long you preached. Now you've got to worry about, you know, do we have enough hand sanitizer? And is so-and-so going to call me this week and complain? You know, stuff like that. So just don't be that person. Just refuse to be that person. Uh, call your congressman instead. So... <laughs> 
all right? So anyway, but I wanted to say that because being a guest preacher is kind of like being a grandparent. You get to go home. And uh, so, but I do sense a good spirit here, and we've enjoyed our time here, and so I appreciate that. We are going to be in the book of Luke this morning, Luke uh, 21. The, somebody has, isn't it amazing how things just magically show up before church? Somebody has placed an outline in your seat. And just, it's amazing how God just provides and things just magically appear just by themselves, isn't it? And so uh, I appreciate those people that have been setting those things out every single week. Uh, so this week you have a fill-in-the-blank sheet, which is a help to you. It's also a help to me because I can say uh, the passage one time and not repeat myself, and you can look down and see what it was, okay? So uh, just follow along with that uh, with me this morning, Luke chapter 21. I want to help you understand the context of where we are today. Luke 21 begins with Jesus and his disciples outside the temple. Uh, The temple and the surrounding structures were quite impressive in Jesus' day. Everything was beautifully decorated. Everything was ornate. The architecture and the craftsmanship was just overwhelming. And Jesus' disciples were regular, ordinary people, fishermen and others, right? They were just common folk. And so, just like you and I would be, they were just completely impressed with the ornate atmosphere of the temple. Uh, They were blown away by all of these buildings and the size of the stones and the pomp and the circumstance and all of that. And that became very evident in the way they reacted to people giving their offerings at the treasury there at the temple. You remember the story. Jesus valued the widow's mite, just a tiny little penny that she dropped in. Uh, The disciples, though, they, they were impressed by the large gifts of the rich that would just Boy, would they ring out when all those coins would be dropped in what they called the trumpets. The temporary things of worldly wealth and culture caught the disciples' attention. And so Jesus just kind of says in passing, well, you know, not one thing you see here will be left. Not one part of this temple would be left untouched. Uh, Not one of the massive stones will remain in its place. It will all be destroyed. And I love the disciples because they're so human. They said, wait, what? (laughs) We want to know more. Jesus, tell us more. Tell us more. They wanted to know all the specifics. When will this happen? What warnings will there be? Uh, Can we watch for something? Jesus tells them in Luke 21, watch out for false Christ. There will be many that claim to be me. He warned them of wars and commotions, meaning disorder or uprisings or insurrections. Uh, He said nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes, there will be famines, there will be pestilence, which is the Bible word for plagues and diseases and pandemics. He said fearful sights will manifest themselves. There will be signs in the heavens. There will be grave persecution that will fall on the disciples of Christ and Jerusalem herself will be surrounded and destroyed. And the signs and wonders of that great and terrible time will cause men's hearts to fail them for fear. The heavens themselves, Jesus said, will be shaken. All these things will culminate with the second coming of Jesus Christ as king. 
a coming of power and of judgment. And this is what it says in Luke 21, verse 28. It says, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Now, before you get too excited, we're not going to dive deep into prophecy this morning. We'll leave that for Pastor Joe to do. Uh, we're not going to look through the history books, and we're not going to postulate on what the future might hold, or when all these things were fulfilled, or might be, you know, we're not going to do that. But all throughout the past year, as things got more and more problematic than we're accustomed to, I've heard a lot of speculation. I've heard a lot of talk about the return of Christ. Uh, yet, here we are in 2021, 2020's in our rearview mirror, and we feel like we've got this blank slate, uh, like there's a new start, like, you know, somehow, some way, as the calendar changes, the world will change with it, and we just start over. Perhaps you've been making plans, maybe you've been putting things right back in the same time slots that you had them in in 2019 this time. Because as many of us know, nothing went according to plan last year. Probably most of your vacations were upset, things like that. But maybe this year will be a bit more normal. I have no idea what this year will bring. I do know that everything on this earth is temporary. Everything apart from the word of God and the souls of men is temporary. Apart from those two things, nothing lasts forever. Just the word of God and the souls of men. That's it. Perhaps 2021 will be what we consider to be normal. On the other hand, 2020 might seem mild in comparison. We've got no clue. But the good news is that for believers in Jesus Christ, it really doesn't matter at all what a year might bring. Because when you know and believe what the Bible says, there is nothing in this world that can change your outlook. And our focus this morning isn't going to be on prophecy and the fulfillment of it, but rather on philosophy and the way we view the world that we live in. Look at the last portion of this chapter with me. Verse 29, Jesus says, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. As Christians, we know that our end is eternity. Uh, but we do not know not any one of us, when that will be. Jesus uh, does not give a time and a date. He gives us signs, he gives us signals, but he gives us nothing so specific that we can point at an event and say, ah, here he is, any minute now. Nothing quite that detailed. 
But Jesus does give us a philosophy of life. It's this constant state of expectation. An ever watchful spirit, knowing that any moment, any moment could be that final moment and we could find ourselves face to face before our Savior at any moment. It's a sobering thought. I mean, what if that moment was just minutes away? Somebody asked D.L. Moody what the reason for his success in preaching was. He said, I preach every sermon as if Christ will come in the middle of it. What if it was moments away? What if it had been midnight, the final seconds of 2020? Were you prepared to stand in his presence then? Are you prepared to stand in his presence now? It's a sobering thing to think about. Perhaps as we look forward to this year that's before us, we should be ready to stand before our Savior. And fortunately for us, in Luke 21, Jesus gives us three states of mind that will ensure that we will be. First of all, in the first few verses, he challenges us to be aware. He says, be aware. Verse 31, so likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The first command Jesus gives to his disciples, he says, you need to know. You need to know. That word is gnosko in the Greek language. It means to grasp the significance or the meaning of something, to understand, to comprehend. Jesus says, listen, you need to know what is going on. You need to be aware. And there's four things Jesus wants us to be aware of. The first, he says, be aware of the prophecy. Be aware of the prophecy. When ye see these things come to pass, know ye. What things? The things that Jesus describes. When ye see those things happen, you should know. Do you know what the Bible says is going to happen? Are you aware of Bible prophecy? What I love about our faith and our God, the God of the Bible, is that he didn't send us into the world with all of this ignorance and all of these unanswered questions. He wrote us a book, 66 of them to be exact. And it's filled with information, clues to what the future of the world will hold. It's just full of it. And you might not understand all of it, but if you're aware of it, you'll be ready to recognize it. You need to be aware of the prophecy. Consider the Magi that came from the east. I mean, surely they weren't the only men on earth that noticed that peculiar astrological event going on at the time. But they arrived in Jerusalem and nobody else seemed to have realized that anything was going on. But because they were aware of the prophecies in your Bible that they had studied for themselves, they saw the sign and they recognized what it meant. That Jesus had come. You don't need to know every detail of every prophecy. You don't need to be able to take a piece of paper and chart every single event in Revelation from memory and know every interpretation of all the judgments and trumpets and all of that, but you should know enough about what God has foretold to look at the events of your day, not in fear, but in expectation. This is what the Bible said would happen. 
I mean, you should read the headlines as if they were the final seconds of the countdown on New Year's Eve. Ah, a pandemic. Jesus said there was going to be pestilence. We're getting closer. Uh, look at this. Look at this. Threat of war. He could be coming today. Honey, come see what's in the news. There could be revelation. Those commotions are here. He's on his way. The financial sector might be collapsing. The food supply lines are unraveling. But you should almost hear that trumpet sounding. Changes the entire way you view the world when you're aware of the prophecy. One writer wrote this. He said, What Christian would not look expectantly for the day when justice and righteousness are established and God's people are vindicated? Clearly, Jesus calls his disciples to have an expectant attitude toward the events of the end, not just to assume that it would all pan out. Are you aware of the signs and wonders that fill the pages of this book? Are you watching the events of this world unfold with great hope and great expectations? I mean, what do you have to fear anyway? For God's children, the end of the world is the beginning of eternity. So why fret over the end of the world? And don't stick your head in the sand either. Don't fret, don't fear. Don't be apathetic. Be aware of what the Bible says. Be aware of the prophecies. Because any moment you might be standing before your Savior. Be aware also of the progression. Jesus says, Likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Be aware of the progression. This is more obvious. But you all realize that all of the terrible things that Jesus talks about in this chapter have to happen before he establishes his kingdom. Right? I believe that the Bible teaches very clearly the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. We've been saved from wrath through Christ. But not, we're not really sure just how bad it's going to get before those seven bad years. We have no idea. Even the early Christians struggled with this simple concept of the progression of these things. Things were so bad, the persecution was so fierce, particularly for the church in Thessalonica, that they thought they might have missed it. That they thought they were in the great tribulation right now. And Paul writes them and says in 2 Thessalonians 2, he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there be a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. In light of all the terrible events of their day, they were to keep in mind that Christ hadn't abandoned them. Uh, they weren't forgotten. They weren't left behind. They were to stand fast in their faith, which is what it says later on in that chapter, 2 Thessalonians 2. It says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Being aware of the progression, what's going to happen and how it's going to, to, to come in the events, it makes your skin thicker. It, 
it, it makes the terrors and troubles of the world more bearable when you can fixate your mind on the fact that no matter how bad things might seem, Christ is still coming and he's still going to set it right. Aware of the prophecy, aware of the progression, and then aware of the promise. Aware of the promise. Jesus says in verse 32, This generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. There's two things that he promises will endure. The first of which will endure until all is fulfilled. That's this generation. Now listen, no two Bible scholars agree as to what Jesus meant by this generation. Uh, Some think it was Israel. Some think all of humanity as a whole. Uh, Some think he was confused. They're obviously wrong. I'm telling you, just be aware of that. Bible scholars are not all that smart all the time. Maybe he meant his disciples from then on. We don't really know what he was talking about specifically. But think about it from the disciples' point of view. To the disciples, it would be comforting to know that Israel as a people and as a nation would exist up until the end. Especially in light of the fact that the Jews are constantly threatened throughout history, but God's chosen people endure. He's telling them nothing's going to be left unturned. Jerusalem's going to be surrounded, but this generation shall not pass away. The disciples would be comforted by the fact that Israel would endure. To us, it is a comfort to know That the Bible teaches the church, the body of Jesus Christ, will not succumb, but be victorious in the face of every onslaught the devil might think of. Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates, by the way, are defensive. The church is on the offense, and hell's defenses shall not stand. Until he calls us up to be with him, the church will not only endure, not only survive, but it will grow and thrive and remain. You know, 2020 sent some tremors down the backbone of the church in the United States. And yet we know nothing of true persecution or opposition. In spite of fierce trials and persecutions throughout the world, the church thrives and multiplies. Here in America, churches hire consultants to tell them how to attract a crowd. They offer solutions to the ever-decreasing size of our congregations. In America, the percentage of Christians continues to fall year by year, while the percentage of those who claim no religious affiliation at all rises at nearly the same rate. And since COVID, one in three people that were attending church are no longer attending church at all in this country. Yet in China, where the government comes in and takes every cross, every religious symbol out of the church, some churches they just blow up. Bibles are confiscated. Pastors are thrown in prison. Just to name what we know, Christianity is the fastest growing religion in that country, exploding out from under the heel of communist persecution. You know, Christ promised that the church will endure hardship and opposition. It will thrive up until the minute he calls it home. It's comfort and convenience that really handicaps churches. We need to be aware of the promise. His people will endure. And then aware of the permanent. The second thing that endures here. Aware of the permanent. This endures beyond heaven and earth. 
beyond the end of all things, and it's the word of God. Jesus says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Even beyond the end of all things, my word will endure. What is it that you've placed your trust in? Your career? It's not permanent. Your finances? Not permanent. Your home? Not permanent. Your spouse? Also not permanent. The only thing that you can truly trust in is the unfailing, unchanging, unquestionable, unequivocal word of God. It's the only thing that endures. It'll never let you down. Psalm 119, verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's got his own copy, and it doesn't change. 1 Peter 1, verse 24 through 25 says, All flesh is as grass. And all the glory of man as the flower of grass, the grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. It doesn't matter what the news might say, the word of the Lord endures. It doesn't matter how the Supreme Court rules, the word of the Lord endures. No matter how uncertain your life might become, the word of the Lord endures. No matter the heartaches or sicknesses or betrayals or disappointments, that life will throw your way, the word of the Lord endures. It's the only thing that will last past the end of all things. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't change this book. If you're easily shaken as a Christian, if you're tossed to and fro by all the seasons of life, then you're finding security in something that is not secure. Because we should be henceforth no more children, Ephesians 4, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love. Grow up into him in all things. If you're not founded on this, you're not founded on anything that'll last, because this is the only thing that will endure. You can't find stability in the workplace or in relationships, certainly not in the world. You need to seek it in this book. Be aware of what is permanent and fill your mind with the enduring word of God. I love what Charles Spurgeon said when he was preaching on this passage. He said, if any of the words of Christ could pass away with this wind and with that wind and the other wind, oh dear, what a card house we would be living in. But if they shall all stand firmly forever as they do, then why and wherefore should we indulge in the slightest fear? One reason why some of you do not rest in Christ as you should is because you do not get right down flat onto his words and trust wholly to them. His word endures, it does not change, and it doesn't matter what life throws your way. If you want to be ready to stand before your Savior, then you have to be aware like he calls you to be. And you need to also be attentive. Be attentive in verse 34. He says, Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares, for as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Jesus tells his disciples, Take heed. That's Prosecco in the Greek, it means to be in a continuous state of readiness, watching for any danger. 
and responding appropriately, to pay attention, to be on the lookout, to be alert, on guard, be attentive. And I want you to notice three keys to being attentive from your text. First, self-diagnostic. Self-diagnostic. He said, take heed to yourselves. Yourselves. Our tendency is to take heed to everyone else. To evaluate the state of others. Jesus says, no, you need to be concerned with yourself. Proverbs 4.26 says, ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Philippians 2 verse 12 reminds us, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Romans 14, verse 10, Why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself before God. Make no mistake, this could be very well the year that you stand before the Lord and give an account for no one but you. And if today were that day, how satisfied would you be with his evaluation of your life in 2020? Were you close to him? Were you faithful to do his will? Uh, did you love and serve his people, the local body of believers, the church? Did you trust in him in spite of all the circumstances? Before you leap into 2021, it's time for self-diagnostic. Because you know what? Life throws a lot of seductive distractions your way. Self-diagnostic, seductive distractions. He says, take heed to yourselves. Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. We're going to break that down. Four concepts here. The first disabled. Disabled. That word overcharged is bereo, meaning to press down as with a weight, to weigh down, to burden. At any time you be weighed down, burdened, disabled with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares. You can be weighed down by these seductive distractions. Even as believers, life can weigh us down and disable us from serving the Lord as we could. Think about it, what it says in Hebrews 12.1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. There might be things in your life this morning that are weighing you down. They might not be what we would list and consider as sinful, but they're something, uh, maybe even something that is good and beneficial. And yet in your life, they're disabling you from running the race you've been called to run for Jesus Christ. They're weighing you down. They're holding you back. And you can't be ready to stand before your Savior if the distractions of this life have 
disabled you from growing as a Christian. Not only disabled, drunk. Drunk. The phrase surfeiting and drunkenness refers to a drunken nausea, a hangover. Drunken behavior which is completely without moral restraint. Did you know that nearly 13% of American adults, roughly 30 million people, could be considered alcoholics? One in eight are alcoholics. The study conducted mid 2000s, 2012 to 2013, surveyed 36,000 people and found that alcoholism rose by 50% since the early 2000s. All forms of drinking increased, including general drinking and high-risk drinking, which is men consuming five or more drinks on one day, women consuming four or more on one day at least once a week. However you slice the numbers, one in eight Americans are checked out mentally one day a week, or 14% of the time, due to alcohol use alone. The American church is not left out of this trend. Half of U.S. adults who say they attend religious services at least once a month report drinking in the last 30 days. 13% engaged in binge drinking, defined as four or more drinks on a single day for men, five or five for men and four for women. That's people that went to church this month. Opioid overdoses are on the rise. I don't know about here, but up by me, marijuana shops are popping up on every corner. More and more, people prefer to be checked out. And how can you be attentive and aware if you're blasted by something? You can't. That's why it says in Ephesians 5, verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise and understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You can't be redeeming the time if you're drunk. Christ makes it quite clear. It's not really open for interpretation. If you want to be ready to stand before him when he comes, stay sober. Disabled, drunk, distracted. Jesus adds the cares of this life, which is helpful when you consider it two ways. First of all, the cares of this life make you distracted. You can get so caught up and busy with everyday life that it hurts your relationship with Jesus Christ. Think of Martha. Martha was just trying to be a good hostess. Uh, She was doing all the work, and her sister Mary wouldn't get up and help. Everybody's got one of those sisters, right? Martha went so far in her resentment of her sister as to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you tell her to leave your feet and come help me? You remember what he said? Luke 10, verse 41, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Or the cares of this life. Martha was full of care. And she missed something important. There are many things that can creep in and take away from your spiritual growth. Normal things. Everyday things. Those things can distract you from that which is truly needful. So what's distracting you from Christ? It might seem important today, 
it's not going to be all that important when you're standing face to face with your Lord. Matthew 6 says, Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or whitherwithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The cares of this life can distract you. They can also cause you to be distressed. They can distract you. They can cause you to be distressed. That's fear. This is anxiety. This is becoming full of care, consumed with the what-ifs, consumed with your circumstances, consumed with the unknowns until it paralyzes you as a Christian. And the Bible gives you the antidote for distress. Philippians 4.6, Be careful, full of care, for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep or guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, here's what you're supposed to be dwelling on. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. A preacher once said something that so helped me. He said, folks, in preaching this passage, if it hasn't happened yet, it's not true. If you're dwelling on what hasn't happened, you're dwelling on something that's not true. Think on that which is true. Don't get distracted. Don't get weighed down by any of these things. Don't let your mind be intoxicated by a substance or engrossed with all of the concerns of your day or distressed by the troubles and trials that you may or may not face. Those that allow themselves to be distracted will discover just how suddenly the devastation will come. Sudden devastation, Luke 21, 34. Jesus says, Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. The world is going to be caught off guard. You don't have to be. Any minute now, Christ could call you home. The Bible promises us that it will happen in a moment, 1 Corinthians 15. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. His return is what we call imminent. It means there's absolutely nothing holding him back. Any moment now, he could sound the trump and we could be caught up to be with him. And when we are attentive to ourselves, and when we're aware that at any moment we could be standing in his presence, it changes the way that we live. 2 Peter 3.14 says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. We're called to be aware. You should be realizing and recognizing the signs of the times and resting on his enduring promises. You have to be attentive to yourself. Not allowing the world and the seductions of it to distract you in any way from the fact that his return is imminent. And finally, be alert. Be alert, verse 36. Jesus says, Watch ye therefore, and pray always, 
that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. First of all, perceptive. Perceptive. Watch is that uh, Greek word which means to be vigilant in awareness of a threat, to be alert, to keep watch, to be on guard. When you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, and you know that he can be back at any moment, you live life on high alert. Ready to meet him at any time. We're to work while we wait. A gardener for a large estate in northern Italy was conducting a visitor through the the castle grounds. They were beautiful, well-groomed, well-kept. And as the visitor had lunch with the gardener and his wife, he commended them for the way they kept the grounds, and the gardens in particular. And he asked, by the way, when was the last time that the owner was here? And the gardener thought for a moment and said, well, about 10 years ago, I suppose. And the visitor asked, then why do you keep the gardens in such an immaculate, lovely manner? And the gardener said, because I'm expecting him to return. And the visitor asked, well, is he coming next week? And the gardener said, I don't know when he is coming, but I expect him today. We don't know when he is coming. You should expect him today. Stay perceptive. Stay alert. He tells you to watch. He also tells us to pray. Watch ye therefore and pray always. Praying. Praying. There are a few words for prayer in the Bible. This is the one that means to ask with urgency, to plead. Jesus literally says that we are to pray in every season, at all times, without exceptions. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. How simple a verse, but how often do we practice it? In the book of Ephesians, we're told in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the whole armor of God. Some of us could quote that so that we can stand against the devil. And then once we have the armor on and we have taken up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, we're told in verse 18 of that same chapter, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We put our armor on and then we pray. You might think yourself ready to stand before the Lord. You might have dotted your I's and crossed your T's, but let me ask you, do you pray? Do you pray? Do you pray often? Daily? Always? E.M. Bounds said, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better. Not new organizations or novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer. Men mighty in prayer. Do you pray Are you perceptive? And we do so purposely. Jesus tells us there's a purpose behind being alert. He says, Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Listen to the warnings of Christ. Are you ready for His return? Are you one of the few accounted worthy to obtain that world, the kingdom? Jesus says something similar in Luke 20, verse 35. He says, They which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world, the kingdom of heaven, 
and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry or are given in marriage, neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels, and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. You can't earn it. It's a gift of grace. Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You want to get excited about something, do a study on what it means to be an heir in God's kingdom. Because Jesus made us heirs. Do you have that hope of eternal life? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? You can be eagerly anticipating that which is eternal and diligently live awaiting it. Jesus expects us to live our lives in light of the fact that we're looking for, as it says in 2 Peter 3, a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And seeing as you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. I have no idea what 2020 held for you. But friend, if you were without hope in 2020, you will find no peace and no comfort in 2021. Because our security is not in our schedules. It's in our Savior. This time of year is unique in the anticipation that it produces in all of us. So this year, resolve to be aware. You should know what the Bible says. You should observe how all the things that are unfolding around us, we were told would happen. And we have been told. And then remember the promise of God. His church will endure and His word is everlasting. You don't need to be so easily shaken. Be attentive to yourself. It's time to throw off those distractions that disable you from serving Christ as you ought to serve. How much have you put off in your Christian walk because you just didn't have enough time or you weren't getting enough sleep or this responsibility and that responsibility? If he would have come, none of those things would have mattered. Don't get diverted. Don't get distressed. Stay sharp. Stay sober. He could be back at any time. Any minute now. And be alert in 2021. Keep watch for Jesus' return. Be ready. Pray always. Purpose in your heart to seek those things which are eternal. And set your sights on your Savior because you could be standing before Him still today. And in that moment, there's no second chances. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And Aaron's going to come in a moment and lead us in a song of invitation. I've just got two questions for you this morning. Simple ones. The first is this. Are you 100% sure that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? All of us will see him someday. And what you do with the message this morning will determine if you stand before him as your savior or you stand before him as your judge. You can get that settled today. 
I don't know how you got through this year without knowing, without a doubt, that you are saved and secure in Christ. I'm sure Pastor Joe would love, be thrilled to answer any questions you might have. Don't leave this place. Don't step into this new year without getting that settled. You'll find no security anywhere else. Then the second question, for those of us that are sure that we're saved, I just want you for a moment in the quietness of your own heart to look back on 2020. Did you live it ready to stand before your Savior? What if he had come back? Would you have been pleased at his coming? Or would you have mixed feelings because you didn't do all that you had intended to do? Maybe there's some things that you didn't do. Maybe there are some things you did do. Today, commit to be ready for him this year. You might just meet him in 2021. You'll want to be prepared. So as Brother Aaron comes and leads, the Lord has laid something in your heart. You come and do business with him today. You can find your security in him.